The NBA playoffs are here, and we have you covered with the Ringer NBA show, hosted by Chris Vernon. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, all through the postseason, you can hear the Ringer's NBA experts, media members, coaches, and players breaking down all the action. Make sure you subscribe to the Ringer NBA show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Soccer Pod. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com. I am joined, as always, by Ryan O'Hanlon. It's great to be here, oh, as always. Ryan, guess what my favorite song is? Um, the Champions! <laughs> the Champions League episode. We're not going to talk too much about uh, English Premier League. That might come at the end. I want to talk a little bit about Tottenham, but I really wanted to talk about the Champions League as we get out of the quarters, right? We're going into yep. the semis. Yep. Uh, it was an exciting uh, and um, controversial, I would say, yeah, uh, sure. quarterfinal round, and we're going to talk about it all. You know, Ryan, you wrote this Winners and Losers on the Ringer.com. You can find that. Beautiful picture of Marcelo celebrating, exultant. It's just a rundown of who won and who lost. (laughs) It's just scores. (laughs) But, you know, you did have a very interesting rant at the end about UEFA. And we usually don't do, um, you know, we don't really complain about refs and we don't really talk too much about, like, the business and the the structures around the game. But I did think, obviously, with um, what happened to Borussia Dortmund, the explosion uh, hitting their bus, injuring Mark Bartra um, last week, them being forced to play a match um, 24 hours after that happened, um, almost, I would not say against their own will, but much to their chagrin, and then going out of the competition against Monaco, uh, despite, you know, obviously Monaco has a lot of qualities, but I think we can all say that there were some mitigating circumstances surrounding Dortmund's, um, Dortmund's play. And you had a really, you know, like, you basically teed off on UEFA, and I wanted to know, like, let's just talk about that a little bit, because I think sometimes when you don't have a personal investment in a team, uh, maybe if you're not living in Europe or whatever, like, you're not, like, a Dortmund fan, you're just kind of, like, watching this with a little removed. You can be a Liverpool fan, obviously, you can be a Dortmund fan, but to watch this happen, you know, you kind of take it in stride. It's actually quite galling that this happened that they were forced to play in a Champions League match after this occurred. It's crazy. Uh, there's really no other way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I think we talk about this a lot, you know, how much preparation goes into basically every match and how painstakingly sort of organized these teams are. And then to think that their bus is legitimately attacked, like, just like a shocking thing that I don't think you recover from for a long time. Yeah, they were saying that um, players were crying after the loss. Mm -hmm. Roman Berkey, the goaltender, like the keeper, hadn't slept. Yeah, he doesn't sleep, he said. Um, And And they made it pretty clear that they were like, we do not want to play this game in UEFA. It was like, you're playing in 24 hours. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of mixed messaging. UEFA said that they spoke to both parties, you know, very, very vague language. And Thomas Tuchel, the Dortmund manager, said that they found out via text message and just felt, I think he used the word impotent, is how they felt um, in the face of this. And it's just, even even if they played the first game yesterday, it would have seemed kind of crazy yeah i don't i don't necessarily have a solution um i i couldn't help but think like well what does it take to what was the bar that had to be cleared or not cleared for this to warrant 
actually giving these guys a break. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? Like, did somebody need to die? And well, I'm not trying to be morbid, but it's just like, no, what, what the hell is going on? I think, I don't, I think there were rumors that that, if someone died, there would have been a bigger buffer given, which seems just insane to like have that as a dividing line. And it seems insane that we're even talking about it. And it's just like, it didn't, the game didn't get moved because there's all of these interests in the game being played sure i mean it's an international sporting event and the most yeah there's the most advertising paid that's already paid for um television in in hundreds of countries exactly paid for to to broadcast this match yeah and and that there's no way no getting around that's why the game was played a day later um and it's just it's just that doesn't it shouldn't matter in the face of this uh uh just extremely like I can't you can't it's one of those things you can't even put yourself in the shoes of people who experienced it yeah it's strange because we we talk about these things a lot in the abstract we talk about uh cutter's world cup bid and the um reported inhumane practices going around on in in the building of the stadiums uh, you know for, for the for the world cup we talk about um the weird world of third-party ownership of people mm-hmm. uh, recruiting kids out of Africa and South America, and like you know, basically duping them into like coming to their training camp and paying agent fees. Like, there's just like anywhere you look in international football, you're going to find really disheartening stories. Um, so this is not exactly the first time I've lost my innocence with UEFA yeah. or FIFA, but there was something particularly. Um, disconnected from reality about this decision that I thought was really made it hard to sort of enjoy the the the, the football which actually was quite excellent yeah I mean especially we... this Dortmund Monaco tie which was awesome <laughs> like uh, taking out the storyline was actually just like electric football being played yeah it was uh, it was the best best matchup I think the a ton of goals a ton of exciting young talent you know and then one of these sort of overachieving teams was guaranteed a spot in the semifinals. And I, we talked, we had a piece on our site about how it was the best, yeah. the best matchup. Um, and instead it's, it's you know, you, like you said, there are all of these things that you hear about and stories about shady, shady stuff that happens with soccer because of the influence of big money on it. But this is just such an obvious, tangible example of that, right? Yeah. And I think the fact that it, it's like, that is taking precedent over the game itself. Yeah, you hear a lot about like the soul of football and what it meant to people in previous decades. And I think that, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, like an American soccer fan who's into European football is like kind of still like a, a voyeur. Like, you know, like we don't really have the kind of um, on the ground connection to it. But you, I, even from this distance, like you can kind of feel that happening and feel it, that it has happened, that it is basically like this corporate. Uh, the corporate machinations of the game, and especially, you know, I gotta be honest, like, I, I, I didn't really have a dog in Bayern versus Real Madrid, but that was the other yeah. th- sort of disappointing thing I wanted to talk about, was like, I hate talking about refereeing, because I think it's a hard job, and I yeah. just think you could just sit there all day and be like, that was offside, that wasn't offside. Mm-hmm. This is like the most boring part of the game to talk yeah, about. Agreed. But Ronaldo was offsides, yeah. and Arturo de Vidal did not deserve a red card. Yeah. And that's tough to watch that's this is supposed to be the very best this game has to offer. I, I truly believe the Champions League is the highest quality football you can play. Yeah. So to watch it get kind of bungled by this guy and 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 to have Real's a very good team and very much deserves like talent wise to 
beat Bayern Munich, to have that be why was a little bit bizarre. Yeah, well, it's just, it gets back to the, you know, uh, the red card itself is like a weird thing in soccer. It has such a big influence on the game, and it always comes down to subjective decisions. And I think, you know, over the course of a 38-game season, you know, you lose a guy for a game, play down a man a couple games, it's whatever, you make up for it. But in something like this, it's it's one leg, and it's like you only get this... 180 minutes to watch Real Madrid and Bayern Munich play, and Bayern Munich played half of it, basically, um, a man down. And it's just, you know, Real Madrid marches on, but it's like, what do you say beyond that? I don't think it's a bummer. You don't feel like, it's, it feels like more like one of those Barcelona-Arsenal matches from a couple years ago where, like, Robin Van Torsie gets tossed for kicking mm-hmm. a ball the wrong direction. It's yeah. like... I, I don't doubt that Barcelona would have wiped the floor with Arsenal eventually in that tie, yeah. but it does feel like you're just kind of getting robbed of like, and and, and it, what it is, it would be like if Draymond got thrown out of every finals yeah. when that happens. Yep. It's like that, that was one thing for that to happen in game five of the NBA finals and it was kind of bizarre and everything, but like to to have it happen and feel like every year the Champions League something weird happens is 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 a little bit hard because it's especially difficult when you're like, you guys got to watch the Champions League. It's the best soccer in the world. And then they're like, have this, they're playing a man down and like you know like the ref made the game about him exactly I, I don't know if you you know maybe there's a way to I don't know this gets into a whole another discussion of like refing the game differently when you know that there's only it's a single elimination knockout at that point yeah but I mean it still doesn't there's nothing you can do about fucked up offsides calls yeah that, that, that happens but but it's just it, is compared to the Barcelona Arsenal thing, it's like I I have no idea. I mean, if Real Madrid or Bayern Munich is better, if one's better than the other, there's nothing sort of from those two games that tells me that. Yeah, you know, because right. Real sort of had these advantages that just I'm not not to like get too like let's re-engineer or something like. But would you do you think it would be more or less fair if they played like a best of five or a best of seven rather than a two-legged a two-leg uh, tie? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be more fair just because it there's a larger sample of. I wonder um, how tactics would change if they did that. It, it would be really interesting. I mean, uh, knowing soccer, I feel like the first like three legs can end up being like zero zero. I feel like time. that's sort of yeah. what happened. There was like those that eighteen month period where like Barca and Real played each other like twenty times. Yeah, I mean, that, that's <laughs> because they true. were in so many different competitions together. Yeah, we got we finally you know got an answer to. The, Bayern or Barcelona is better than Real Madrid because yeah, they beat that them time, so yeah. many times. But it's just you know that's the same thing with the NFL. It's just not like it. There's just not space for that many. Yeah, games and it's play. probably physically in a, in a way too demanding to do that. Well, let's talk about Barcelona. Um, that was another big exit. Um, mm-hmm. It almost feels unfair to Juventus, who I think have been the best team in the Champions League. Yeah. Um, and now, because I haven't been watching as much Italian football, Juventus almost has that um, mystical quality that mm-hmm. I think they must have had in some of their heydays in the you know in the last few decades, where you know if you didn't watch a lot of Italian football and then like Juventus shows up and like yeah. the, everything about their <laughs> name and their colors and like everything about it just feels like. Who are these guys? And like freaking <laughs> supermodel wonder b- boys. And like they really, I I just thought you got to see what Allegri has done differently with this team uh, than Conte. They were already incredibly well disciplined under Conte. They already were incredibly 
stout defensively, and they had a couple of playmakers like Pirlo and Pogba. And now I just feel like Dybala has become one of the best strikers or one of the best forwards in, in world football. Mm-hmm. And Allegri has done just enough to sort of tweak how they play with the ball and without the ball now. So before when they were just more of like a defensive counterattacking team, now I feel like they're really, really good in possession. Yeah, I think I think Juventus at this point, you know, they're 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 in the conversation with the big three teams. Yeah. It's not just Real Madrid, Bayern and Barca. Barca. I think Juve is like firmly in the How many now. Serie A's have they won on? This is gonna be three or four now? I think it might be five. Five. Um, it, it just an, an incredible run. Um, and Syria is not bad now. Roma and Napoli are both both really yeah. good teams. It's it's not like Juve's playing in Liga, um, like PSG. And I think there is a sort of. I know exactly what you're talking about with the mystical quality. I would feel that all the time when I'd watch the Champions League when I was younger. Yeah. But it's also because they just play a different way. Like, Juventus is the best, I think they're the best defensive team in the world. And we've sort of come to associate, especially watching the Premier League, you associate good defense with a team that is insanely aggressive and pressing everywhere. And Juventus just doesn't do that. But they're also not like you. You don't watch Juventus, so they don't not. do that. What do they do? They just keep their shape. They they get you to take bad shots because that's what you were saying yeah. in your piece, right? Like they don't care how many times you shoot, as long as you're shooting from bad positions, pretty much, right? Yeah, and you know they they let you get the ball into the box, but they know how to deal with the ball once it gets into the box. I think there's a lot of good defensive performances or quote unquote good defensive performances against Barcelona where it's like guys sliding all over the place and blocking shots and like deflections just going nearly wide like just wide but with Juventus it's like they basically turned Barcelona into Arsenal they're yeah, like you pass the ball yeah, to the back of the net they, if you think you can do it exactly they let them possess it and they let them shoot from bad angles um, and they're just they feel it's weird for a pa- sort of passive at least compared to a pressing defense a passing defense to still feel like they're in control of a game so they don't it, have the ball. But if that's, that's what they feels. did, that should technically, like theoretically, Barcelona has the three best forwards on the planet. Mm-hmm. If any three people or if any one player is supposed to be able to make something out of nothing, get a goal from a bad angle, hit a thirty-yard screamer, it's Messi, Neymar, and Suarez. So, do yeah. you see that as a decline? Not necessarily of any one of those one players as an individual. I think Neymar is probably playing as better as well as he's ever yeah. played in his life. Yeah. But as a unit, do you think that that is? Are, are they like? Are they in decline? Are they like? Is there a little stasis going on there? I think it's. You know, maybe Messi has declined by like one percentage point. Yeah, and he's still better than everyone else. Um, but I feel like the decline is really from the supporting cast. I mean, it's Iniesta is just he's good when he's fully fit, but he loses his fitness. By halftime of every game, yeah. basically, you know, he just can't move in the way he used to. Busquets has had basically his worst season since he's been with Barca. Rakitic is, you know, he's he's a good like connective midfielder, but he's not going to be like a superstar. Yeah, at any point, they don't have Danny Alves doing what he used to do on the flanks. So it's sort of, I think, when it's a they don't have like that second wave of player exactly. who's going to come through and get it like a Pedro. That's sort of like 
for uh, like to put it in basketball terms, like they those guys you don't have to worry about them, you mm -hmm. know. So you worry about the front three, and for a defense as sophisticated and organized as Juventus, like you can deal with three guys like that. I mean, we should say like Arsenal had or Barcelona um, had a ton of like shots, obviously, and sometimes those go in, and maybe the game unfolds differently if that happens. But I mean, it's it was. You know, Juventus, I think, played it about as well as you could have. I kind of, this is the first time I have ever actually been able to see Messi on another team. Mm -hmm. uh, only because there's been a lot of managerial change over there since Guardiola left. There's been a, several managers. Most Spanish teams have a degree of turnover in the managerial spot. Um, but there hasn't been, I think that the fact that they've invested so heavily in the forward line. And Messi, to me, is the one who's almost suffered the most for that. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, I just I could see him at, on Paris or Manchester City if they could come up with the money. I mean, it, it would basically have to break all concepts we have of transfer <laughs> fees. Because yeah. you're not only talking about a player who can win you the league, you're talking about a global brand that you'd be buying. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's like you're buying him maybe toward the end of his career, but who the hell knows? Because yeah. he hasn't really slowed down, and he's probably going to figure out a way to play even when he can't run. Yeah, anymore. he just doesn't he's... have a, the same effervescence, the same sort of... seems doesn't seem to have the same joy that he, he used to have, say, two years ago, three years ago. No, and maybe that's just... The tax stuff. I, that's I have no life idea. wearing yeah. him down. We were both curmudgeons. Yeah. When we first well, met. we're talking about uh, one player who I don't want to say he's on decline. That's like saying LeBron's on decline. It's like you're never going to be right saying that. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about somebody who's about to hit the become a household name. That's uh, Kylian Mbappe on, on Monaco. Um, it's one of those cool moments. One of the actually really nice things about social media is that it does serve as a little bit of a litmus for when someone has achieved a degree of notoriety or uh, People know who they are. Mm -hmm. And Mbappe is like, you know, before Monaco played on Wednesday, I think it was Tuesday? Yesterday. Yesterday. Wednesday. There was like, I could hear, you could see people just being like, I can't wait to watch this kid. I can't wait to watch this kid. It kind of reminded me, and I couldn't remember if this was the 06 World Cup or the 08 Euros, but when Ribéry first really broke out, mm -hmm. and people were like, oh my God, this guy is like one of the 10 best players in the world right now. And he was just like a winger on Marseille then. It was uh, 2006, I think. 2006. And I think he was on Marseille. Mm -hmm. And so it was before he went to, to Bayern. And, um, you know, it was just, he, Mbappe is so good. He's so fast, so physical with so much skill. And he seems like he's just one of those forwards who you you can't even peg him as like, oh, he's like a pile, like a, like a Lukaku-style um bull you yeah. know or a he's not a fox in the box he just has like a very Henri like set of skills where he can do a ton mm -hmm. well we I remember we talked to Jordan Morris a couple mm -hmm. weeks a month or two ago on the podcast and he talked to us about how important it is like what can take you from being a average striker to a good one or a good one to a great one is you like pounce on those half chances that don't really come down to like it's not going to be on a highlight reel you mm -hmm. know what I mean and the goal against Dortmund he scored yesterday was a long range shot everyone's standing and watching and he just sprints toward the keeper the keeper can't catch the ball he knocks it down and Mbappe hits it in um, so adding that to like the incredible yeah. physical and technical ability that he has it's you know you don't want to get 
to you, this happens in soccer i think almost more than any sport we overhype people too much but it's just like he does literally everything and you're saying in your piece that his numbers his underlying numbers suggest yeah. someone who's already around electric alexis yeah, sanchez like, so he's scoring a third of his shots which will that just won't happen yeah. and if it does he's the best soccer player of all time right if that happens right messi's at 20% for his career, and that's basically the unheard of mark. And for most people, it fluctuates. But still, he's, based on like the quality and the number of shots he has, he's still, based on you know expected goals and metrics, he still would be putting up, he should be putting up very good goals numbers. Yeah. Right around, like you said, Alexi Sanchez, and that's, he's 18. So it's like, that just, that, almost never happened. And you were saying like some like you know there there's going to be this really interesting market for strikers. I mean, the Messi thing is pretty much just like fantastical, but mm-hmm. Lukaku would probably be for sale. Yeah. Um Aguero has been in and out of sort of the future plans of Might Man City. Sanchez could be for sale. Yeah. Um Aubameyang. Yeah, Aubameyang. And, and you have a bunch of teams like Man U could we just saw Zlatan go down with what looked like a pretty bad knee injury. Yeah. You have Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea could be looking for a Costa replacement. You you've got to figure that Barcelona is going to spend some money this mm-hmm. summer, although I would imagine it's going to be mostly on midfield. So there's going to be a lot of money being thrown around there for somebody like Mbappe. The reason why people are like, "Oh, let's watch it." Like if you buy a kid at 18, Theoretically, it gives you a higher amount of like of leverage in terms of controlling his wages and controlling his future than if you try to buy him at twenty five and he's going to cost you one hundred and fifty million. Well, exactly. It's the, unless he costs you one hundred and fifty million now. Well, I think the interesting thing is like how much he's going to cost because part of what gets baked into a transfer fee is sell-ons, ha- yeah, sell-ons, or how long you could have the guy for. So it's like most you don't. You can't project someone confidently until they're producing for like what five or six years at the professional level, you know, and then you can kind of put a price on him. But for him, it's like he's already producing at a near elite level. He's producing at like an insane level, and he's performing at like just below the elite level. Right. And, and for an eighteen-year-old, that's absurd. So it's yeah. like you could be buying that for twelve years. Yeah. So if you're if you're confident that's what you have if you're Monaco and if you're a team buying that, I mean, it should be just a crazy number. But at the same time, it's also the, hey, he's only 18, this is a half a season, so do we actually want to spend that much money? I think it's kind of fascinating how much he'll go for. In Let's say you were going to put Mbappe on an English team that, like, not that not that they deserve him or something, but one where you think he would be best utilized. Forget the transfer fee. And don't say, like, Bournemouth but I was thinking about Mbappe on Tottenham and just like what that would mean to see him there instead of like like the ghost of Eric Lamella who is no longer there but having Mbappe as like a secondary forward line goal threat along with Kane with Ali behind him was just like I was like man Tottenham could win the Champions League if they were that good you know yeah he does seem like he would fit amazingly on any of Man City Liverpool or Tottenham like think Tottenham and Liverpool are probably not going to be able to afford him yeah yeah um but it's also like if you put him on chelsea and they're just counter-attacking this guy's like built for that too he can run around and press or he can counter-attack he shouldn't go to man u but he probably will yeah (laughs) um what else jumped out at you about champions league we can talk about that a little bit and then we can talk a little bit about premier league before we get out of here yeah i think the the biggest takeaway from it for me is 
it just seems like all of the best teams aren't as good as they used to be. Um, they're just like a slight level below. I was thinking about that a lot because there's a couple articles about being the end of a cycle at Bayern and about uh, Lom's gone, Alonzo's gone. Uh, you know, Rib Rob is mm-hmm. definitely aging. Yeah. And needing to find spaces for guys like Kingsley Coman and Renato Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how they'll probably have a year of transition, which could open up the door a little bit in the Bundesliga for teams yeah. like Leipzig and Dortmund. But that kind of being the case for a bunch of these teams. And we talked a little bit about Barcelona seeming a little bit stale. Uh, Real, I think, you know, it's hard to be critical of Real Madrid since they just keep winning Champions League trophies, yeah. but they are still very much a a Galactico team that's based on a series of relatively aging Galacticos. They have yeah. to eventually turn it over to Bale, I guess. Mm-hmm. What do you uh, what do you think is, is behind that? Do you think we're just at the end of a cycle for a lot of these major clubs and they're going to have to retool a little bit? Yeah, I think it's partially it's part of it is Ronaldo and Messi getting older and just maybe they're not the influence they have on the game is just not quite as outsized as it used to be so yeah. that lets the other teams catch up and i don't think i don't think barcelona has sort of managed the team well at all you look at the bench and the guys they brought off the bench yesterday and it's just like those guys shouldn't even be playing for barcelona um same thing with madrid and bayern it's probably it's probably a year of transition i feel like going from pep guardiola to any manager is probably really difficult just because yeah. he's so hyper specific with everything but it's also i think it's Rebury and robin the, those guys are they get they've gotten hurt a ton but they're just below messi and ronaldo when they're healthy and they're they're getting older too i think it's i think it it is just we probably underestimated the impact of if possible of Messi and Ronaldo. Well, it's a, it's not that surprising, is it? I mean, like you think about where we were, say, five, six years ago, and Manchester United and Chelsea were routinely in the semifinals of the Champions League. Yeah. Neither of those teams are even in the Champions yeah. League this year. Exactly. So it's it's sort of uh you know, I think you and I kind of came of age as far as soccer being soccer fans of seeing Premier League teams routinely make these deep runs mm-hmm. in the Champions League and um, you know, those maddening Liverpool Chelsea's quarterfinal matches, Drogba flops, and yep. you know uh, Fernando Torres. Like it, it, that, that was like a a cycle, and that yep. cycle is over. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of those teams that were very good at that time are not as good. And um, Barca has had uh, ten years now of of dominance, and Madrid has now had five years of of, of close to dominance. I think Madrid will probably just always be able to buy the best player, and just the yeah. fact that like you know they they'll just get Eden Hazard. You know what I mean? Like they eventually will get Eden Hazard in the next two years, probably because if he wants to go, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but the teams like Bayern and Barca are interesting because there's so much uh, of a belief in in um, there's like a little bit more of an identity question there than with Real, where it's just like the eleven best guys in the world. Barca and Bayern have more of a relationship to a, an ideal. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's with Real Madrid it's like they they get in their own way by just buying the next most expensive player and then he doesn't fit with the team in the way that the current previous most expensive player did. Um but that's like the the talent is always so incredibly high that they're just 
always going to be fine, yeah. roughly. You know? They'll always be first or second in the La Liga. Yeah, and Barca, I think it's yeah, they're devoted to playing a certain way and to the ideal of the club, whether it's accurate or not. And it's it makes it hard, I think, to to find the players that you think fit there. Um, I, I think in the way that the club wants the game to be played, it's very, very hard um, to do that. And those players are just few and far between. Yeah. Um, so you can see them sort of being too idealistic about things and that sort of stunning their progress in a way. Yeah. Bayern, I think it's... They're always still buying the best players in Germany, you know. And they're just always they're doing always that. and like liquidating the competition domestically so yeah. they can concentrate on Europe. Yeah. Yeah. So they're always they're gonna always gonna be okay. I yeah. think. Let's talk really quickly about the Premier League. Yeah. We have a weirdly uh, hot title race now, yeah. which I don't think anybody expected in February, and now it's become a, a four point gap between Chelsea and Tottenham. The same amount of games. Here's my prediction for this. Tottenham's going to win the FA semifinal, FA mm-hmm. Cup semifinal this weekend, and then Chelsea's going to win the Champions, the, the Premier League, pretty comfortably. I think Tottenham will. It, it's. I think they'll easily get into the Champions League. I think they'll probably finish second. I just think that there, there's like a weird like Tottenham's going to have like a fake sense of like, well, we got them, yeah. and then Chelsea's going to win the league. They have an easier run in Chelsea, so I, I just think. Uh, Playing the North London Derby on April 30th is like, that's wild. Doesn't it feel to you like if Greg Popovich managed soccer and he was a manager he of would Chelsea throw right now? the FA Cup, basically. Yeah, it would be all youth players yeah. playing. Um, I, I totally agree. I think Tottenham, uh, it's tough because they've, since they lost to Liverpool, their schedule has been relatively easy. Um, yeah. Their toughest game was Everton, and they basically pulled that out in the last minute. And what, but we talked about this. A lot of other teams are having trouble with that teams below them part. Like Liverpool's very competitive with the top four, top five teams. Yeah. But when they have to play somebody who sits back, and they need Emery Chan to like create, yeah, they're screwed. Yeah, that's that's not a good situation. And it's it's just math. Like most of the teams in the Premier League aren't one of the top six teams. Yeah. So if you beat up those teams, like Tottenham is, it's putting them basically on the borderline of being back in the title race. I, I, And it's possible that they figured something out and they're going to keep doing this against good teams. But I just, you know, the schedule has been too easy for me to get Tottenham too excited about it. Tottenham wins the test championship to me. I yeah. mean, they are playing the best football of the year right now. Their best players are at their best. Yeah. But it's too little too late. And it's. Uh, I think Chelsea's, Chelsea's just not going to lose a four-point lead on a team. I guess we can just quickly discuss, um, we go over this every week, 3-4-5 is separated by six points. Arsenal seems pretty well out of it at 57. There are three points. They are, they are seven points off of fourth. Yeah. With only a few games left. So how do you think the top four shakes out if Chelsea and Tottenham are 1-2? Uh, I think I'm going to stick with what I said last time probably the it's man city third liverpool fourth okay um but again it's tough because liverpool has an easy very easy schedule they've played all the top six teams but that's not easy to liverpool and they don't have Mane. exactly and liverpool's have has beaten some of these worst teams recently but they actually haven't played that well i think they've sort of been fortunate they go to a pretty good palace team a a palace team that dunked on arsenal yeah they host watford 
They go to Southampton, and then they finish the season hosting West Ham. Yeah, you can argue that Southampton and West Ham will be on early summer break by then. Yeah, but uh, it's just that nothing's ever easy for Liverpool when it comes to these sort of mid-table teams. No, and they they have a bunch of injuries, so it's yeah. it's. I, I think one thing though with this is that when we do sometimes look at the table. Um, because Liverpool has a couple games in hand with Man U, we always project that Man U will win every game. Mm-hmm. But like their average points so far would put them behind Liverpool. Yeah. So I think I, I think it's just the safe bet to pick Liverpool over Man U because Man U also has another avenue. They're three games away from getting in the Champions League through the Europa League, and I think they're the favorites to win that. So, yeah. Um, I'm shitting my pants as a Liverpool fan, I would say. But I, yeah. I, I, if I was betting, I would still take them fourth. I think it's just it, it's Manchester United has uh, defeated Anderlecht, so I assume that means they are going through. Yeah, right. So they won two one today. I uh, it, what's very important about this, the reason why we keep bringing it up, obviously, is not just it's not just the money that comes in by making the Champions League. It is the chance of Champions League football that attracts just the perfect level of player. You can't yeah. even get in a room with Kylian Mbappe unless you're like, we're going to go to Champions League yeah. next year. So for even a team like Arsenal, who used to have a pipeline into France and used to be the kind of place that Kylian Mbappe would probably have in his top five choices to where to go, yeah. if Arsenal's not playing in the Champions League and they have a lame duck manager if Wenger comes back or a new manager if he leaves, yeah. he's not going to even think about it. It's true. and But then it gets into the... Maybe Arsenal will then be better next year because they don't have to play in the Champions League. You know, it's like it <laughs> yeah. almost feels like we're headed toward a cycle where it's like between Manu, Tottenham, it's mini tanking. Arsenal. It's like they're just going to cycle in. Yeah, it's mini tanking. It's like we have to get out of like all this. Like, you know, we can't sustain this sort of like to sustain greatness. We have to be out of the running for greatness for a season or two. Yeah, the problem like, is getting back in. As Liverpool is an example. Yeah, it's of. like you're just accepting that you're going to be good one year and then not good the right. next year right which is very weird all right we'll be back probably in a couple weeks to talk about just championship league semifinals and the run into the premier league until then i'm chris ryan i'm ryan o'hanlon take care